Hey y'all, it's your girl KC back with another episode of Thriving with a Sprinkle of Depression. And today I am excited to be diving into imposter syndrome. Um, Before we get into it, I want to do a quick mental health check-in and I encourage you to go ahead and do your mental health check-in as well. Um, I will say today I'm probably feeling on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm probably feeling at like a, a 9 or a 10. Um, there was nothing spectacular that happened over the course of a week. However, I will say that these days I've been feeling more encouraged um, just with my life and everything that I'm, the things that I'm doing to work on myself, both inward and outward. Um, so I'm just feeling really encouraged. I will say that I was a bit hesitant to get this episode recorded just because imposter syndrome has been a touchy subject because I have dealt with it and still deal with it even now, but I'm learning how to ground myself and get myself back to the reality of what is my life, you know? So with that being said, I want to start off. I have a couple questions here. Um, So I want to go ahead and answer these questions and just continue to have the dialogue about what imposter syndrome looks like, what, um, what my experiences have been with it, and what are some things that I've done to um, level the playing field as far as what my mind is trying to trick me into believing and what the reality is, right? So one of the first questions I have here is, how would you describe imposter syndrome in your own words? So in my own words, imposter syndrome is what I tell my clients and a lot of my ladies in, in the classes that I teach at work is that imposter syndrome, you are feeling that you are undeserving for with to have whatever it is that you have in your life. Feeling like, oh, I am at this, I have this kind of success, but am I really deserving? Do I deserve this very thing that I have here? Do I deserve this title, right? Um, I went ahead, y'all know, if you don't know now, you'll know. <laughs> Google is yet again one of my other best friends. So I Google everything. Um, and I, I went ahead and looked up the clinical definition of imposter syndrome. And it says imposter syndrome, also known as imposter phenomenon, fraud syndrome, perceived fraudulence, and imposter experience describes high achieving individuals who despite their objective successes, fail to internalize their accomplishments and have persistent self doubt and fear of being exposed as a fraud or imposter. Woo, child. <laughs> that definition definitely says a lot. I, I feel like it's so meaty. There's so much within that definition. There's so much that you just, you see and you probably experience in your own life. I think the greatest, um, the greatest way for me to describe it or to explain it, those of you who are Issa Rae fans out there, um, I love how in the final episode of, or the final episodes of Insecure, and even over the course of the five seasons, you'll hear and understand that Issa talks about the characters in their own lives have dealt with some sort of imposter syndrome, right? Um, you know, living in a world where, you know, Issa is trying to come up and, and be, you know, her own boss and entrepreneur and also provide for her community in the way that she sees fit, right? She, she gets this success and then ultimately she feels like 
am I like, am I bailing on my city? Is this really the life that I should be living? Do I deserve this success? Did I exploit the lives of others to get here? Is this really where I'm supposed to be, right? And you'll see that Molly goes through it. You know, she has a success, which she, I think, is embodying and embracing. However, I feel like her imposter syndrome is more so seen through her relationships and, you know, the uh, pressure she has from her parents to be married and have kids. And then once she gets that, it's just like, okay, am I really happy? Is this really what who I want to be with? Is this the person, you know, or up until the day of the wedding, she, you know, you'll understand if you read between the, the metaphorical lines, um, you'll see that she may or may not truly believe that she is deserving of this one thing because of all the mistakes and the hiccups that she's made in past relationships, right? So I think just for a visual reference, and if you haven't um, seen or watched Insecure, I really... It, I really implore you to go and just watch it and not even because it's so entertaining, but also because the deeper meaning behind all five seasons, you'll really understand it at the end because it, it hones in on the show in its totality, really, really shedding light on number one, you know, the black population and how imposter syndrome really is heavily, um, um, I, I, I don't, I don't know this for sure. I'm not an imposter syndrome expert, but I feel like I know that there are a lot of situations where in the black community, imposter syndrome is more likely to be felt or experienced, um, just because of years of feeling like inadequate because of what other people have told, you know, the black community, it, we can go back to, racism or we can go back years and years and years of just all the things that have gone on but it also just happens to be something that is affected for all people white black brown purple orange whoever but you'll specifically see in the insecure um series that she really sheds light on that in the black um, community in um los angeles so, moving right along to the next question. Have you ever experienced imposter syndrome? What happened? How did it affect you? Or in other words, what was the outcome? <clears throat> now, I will say that I, I believe looking back on things that I experienced imposter syndrome in many different phases of my life. Um, I will talk about just, um, I'll talk about two phases, professionally and then relationally. I'll start with professionally. I can think back to when I got my master's degree and I'll go to my dad's church and the pastor's wife, she'd come up to me and, and other people in the church as well. And they're just like, oh my gosh, you got your master's degree and you're only 24. Like that is something, you know, so unheard of. We didn't have, we didn't, we didn't get, you know, the opportunity or we didn't do those things back in the day. You know, we were 
lucky to have gotten our bachelor's degree, but we don't see a lot of the elders, you know, saying that they got this degree at 24 or 22. So, you know, it's such an honor. She was basically saying like, keep going with your success because this is major. And for me, I just felt like, I felt like I went through life feeling like everyone was so excited for me. And I was just like, is this, is, am I deserving of the excitement? Why am I not, why am I not like excited? I, it was almost like I was putting on a front, like, yeah, thank you. Like I was so joyful and, you know, excited for other people to be excited for me, but I wasn't excited for me. Instead, I was thinking, okay, what else do I need to do to get to the next level? I was, there was no, no limit to success for me and not in the good way, in the bad way. It was just like, as I, um, as I checked off things on my list, it, it became more and more, uh, prevalent to me that I felt like I wasn't deserving. Like, Crystal, you're not happy about this because this is not, you're not supposed to be, you're, this isn't, your success. This isn't for you. You don't deserve this, right? Clearly you're not getting these jobs or they're not calling you back because they're saying the same thing that you're saying to yourself. You don't deserve to be in this position. If anything, maybe the bachelor's degree was is like the greatest place that you could have been. You should have just stayed there. And um there are different phases in my career where you know I was working at a hospital one time making, you know, great money. And I just felt like everyone is so excited and like happy. My mom was just elated. And I'm like, I don't know if this is the place for me. And at the time I was thinking, you know, maybe I'm just not happy here. Maybe this is just isn't for me. And I will say that you know, the hospital, I gained so much experience and knowledge in the hospital. I will say that it the hospital is not for everyone. It's not one of my favorite um, positions to have, but I started to feel like, you know, you're not going to ever go up the ladder because you don't deserve to. It's not in the cards for you. You really shouldn't be. You don't deserve this success. That's all. That's the, the the greatest way. The best way that I can put it is you don't deserve this success. And um, I was always saying, you know, I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to, you know, have more success. I got to show my mom. I got to show other people so they can be happy. But on the inside, I'm just not believing that I am deserving of this. Right? Um... How did it affect me? It affected me because I started to, number one, I really started to believe those thoughts. And it really, um, it hindered me from going, it hindered me from going forward with other other things that I needed to accomplish, which like taking my licensing exam test to become licensed, um, even in, in the state of Georgia now, but even in the state of Florida, in the state of, uh, yeah, Florida, I, I just felt like there were two things. Number one, I felt like 
you're going to fail. Like, there's no point in you even taking this test. I would tell people, you know, I just, I want to take it one time and pass. But it was really just, I just knew that I was going to fail. So, I, I didn't feel like, you know, wasting the money and taking the exam and doing all these things. Because I just knew it was no way that I was going to pass this exam. And then number two, I was just like, you know... Well, I think that was it. I, I feel like now I can say number two would be if I do pass the exam, what does that look like? I don't even know how to feel, how to be like Crystal with a license. Like what? I, I just can't. I couldn't instill some somewhat can't fathom that. But back then at the time, that wasn't even an option. It was just number one. Like you're going to fail. I didn't think about what if I passed because in my mind, it was just like, you're never going to pass. It's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. So I went, you know, we are, what are we in? 2022 from 2017. So about five, six years um, out of grad school this year and well five six years from grad school um and i am still contemplating taking this exam you know i have supervisors who are just like crystal you have the knowledge like take the exam my sister my dad <laughs> my my friends my co-workers are all encouraging me crystal you got it you can do it and all i can do is literally smile and because in my mind, I'm just like, I hear you, but I don't believe you. Because I, I simply don't believe that I am able to get this done. Um, and I will just preface this by saying I am no expert on imposter syndrome. Again, I am not an expert and I am not quote unquote healed from imposter syndrome, but I am actively, I'm actively living through it and understanding that those things that I am hindering myself from doing, the only, the only thing that's standing in the way is me. And I understand that that imposter syndrome, I have to speak to it and just say, you know, if I do, or if I don't, my success still remains. I am still very experienced in the field of social work. And, you know, whether I want to go and take the test again or whether I want to go and apply for another job, I still have the success of seven plus years in the industry. I have been privileged to work with um, addiction, children and families, um, homeless population. I have um, been in the school system. I've been in um, acute care in the hospital. So there's so many different things, so many different experiences that I've gained um, in this field. And those are all successes. So I think the answer to the final question, what was the outcome? The outcome is every day when I, every day that I feel like my imposter syndrome is taking over a decision that I need to make or that I am going to make, I have to stop myself in the moment. And it's kind of like a grounding technique where I'm, I bring myself back to reality. 
Okay, Crystal, let's look at these, the successes that you have. Let's look at all the things that you said that you wanted to do, that you ended up doing, and that you thrived at in the end. Let's go back to every supervisor that you have had who has given you an exceptionally amazing uh, reference letter. Let's look at all the people who come to you for consultation to understand the field, to understand the things that go on in the social work field, in the therapeutic field, in the clinical field. So, um, again, I am not healed from imposter syndrome, but today I understand that bringing myself back to the reality of things and say, okay, remember the time when you thought you were an imposter in this? And then you actually step forward and did it. And now you're a master level uh, worker in this specific um, field or in this specific area in your job. Boom. There's proof that you are not an imposter. You're supposed to be here. You were supposed to get this done because you're living proof. Right? So um, I think that is how I go forward with... um, leaning out of imposter syndrome and leaning into the reality of Krista, you have done it. And if you want to do something else or you want to do whatever it is that you want to do, you, you'll be able to do it with determination, with skill, with expertise, with all the things, right? So that brings me to the next question, which is, What is something you can say to yourself, perhaps a mantra, to catch imposter syndrome when it comes up? Um, I think for me, because failure is the resounding um, word for me, that it, it really just is always in in my mind, whether in the forefront or in the back of my mind, I always kind of go back to failure and you can't fail or you will fail. Um, so I think a mantra for me that actually just came to mind is failure is not the end, right? Even if I fail the test when I take it, it's not the end. I can choose to take it again or I can choose to continue in my field and, and work Um, But nine times out of 10, I will choose to take it again because failure is not the end. There's always something more. You just got to push past that um, initial maybe embarrassment or push past the initial frustration of it all. But failure is not the end. So I think that will be my mantra. And I, I think... That might even be the name of this episode. (laughs) Failure is not the end. (laughs) Um, And the next question says, how has imposter syndrome affected your career? Looking back, are there things you might have said or done differently had you not felt this way? Um... I will actually switch this question because I don't think that imposter syndrome has completely affected my career because I've always been able to, number one, attain a job, do very well at the job. And, you know, if and when I've ever left a a specific job, I've always had an experience. And this is not me really boasting about anything, but I've always had 
um, a supervisor or um, a boss or maybe even a coworker really want me to stay because of the impact that I made either either over the kids or over other staff um, or just over the company in general. So I don't think it has affected my career per se. But what I will say is how has imposter syndrome affected my relationships? Um, And I think in maybe the first episode I talked about you know, my, my ex, um, my ex-boyfriend and how I used, I used to say to myself, you know, he's as good as you're going to get. And I think that statement in itself was me telling myself, you don't even deserve him. So the fact that you are with him, you really need to hold tight to this because you're not going to get another, a chance at this greatness, quote unquote, right? Um, The second part of this question says, looking back, are there things you might have said or done differently had you not felt this way? For sure. I wouldn't limit myself to what I was receiving in the relationship, which is the bare minimum. You know, if I look back on that time in my life where I was, you know, head over heels for this guy and I felt like, you know, this is the end, this is my husband, the father of my kids, I wouldn't limit myself to say, you know, I used to always tell myself, well, tell him and, and guys that I've dated, oh yeah, I'm a simple girl, you know, I don't really require much, I don't, I don't need that, or I don't, you don't have to do that for me, no, it's okay, don't, don't do that for me, literally, I will talk them out of Something, I don't even know, like so minimal, buying flowers, something that I cherish. But I would literally tell them, nah, it's okay. I don't need any of that. Like we could literally just sit and talk in the car, like which I still enjoy, but it was like all the time. So I initially essentially set the standard by telling them that don't do anything special for me because I don't deserve it. Like, don't go out of your way to do anything special. Don't do anything, you know, beautiful for Valentine's Day or for my birthday. It's okay. Like, I just enjoy your company, which is still true to this day, but to also tell them in the same breath, essentially, don't celebrate me. It is frightening to hear (laughs) or to realize now because I for years just couldn't understand why my friends would be like Crystal like y'all didn't do anything or you know y'all not doing anything and I would just be like yeah it's 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 normal like what are you talking about I don't need anything I don't require it and I'm I would tell them I would say this phrase I think if I remember it correctly it was just like just because I deserve this and this and that doesn't mean that I require it. So I don't need that from you. I don't want, you know, I don't want that. And and it wasn't the fact that the statement wasn't true. It was the fact that I literally never, I never held any guy to my standard, which is, Crystal, you do deserve all of these things. And when they do give it to you or bring it to you, don't shut it down. It's so ironic because 
I had my first session with my new therapist, who I absolutely love. Um, and she has these uh, um, affirmation cards. And during the session, we talked a lot about, this is the first session, so I was just introducing her into the reasons why I wanted to come into therapy um, with her. And we talked about me just accepting um, and receiving things without pushback. So uh, towards the end of the session, she tells me, you know, I have these affirmation cards and I just love to do this after every session. Um, She fanned all the cards out and she's like, just pick one. I want you to just look at whichever one caught your eye first and just pick it and then read it. So I'm like looking at the cards and I'm just like, okay, which one grabs my attention? And I'm just like looking, like overthinking what Crystal does. <laughs> and she's like, don't take too long, just pick one. So I just pick one. And I don't even feel like the one that I picked was the one that caught my eye first. But for some reason, I just grabbed it. And on the card, she told me, she said, read the card. So I read the card. And y'all, on the front of the card, the affirmation is receiving joyfully. I could have fell out that chair. I could have fell out the chair because, ma'am, what? So it was just another confirmation, not even for the therapy session or for whatever was was spoken about in the session. It was just a confirmation that I have to understand and believe that the things that I am receiving, the things that are given to me, that are spoken over me and to me, it's okay for me to receive it, love it, believe it, and understand it. It's okay. Like, you deserve it, Crystal. I have to, you know, I have to continue to tell myself, you deserve that. Don't feel like that compliment that you were just given, you have to feel shy about or nervous or say, no, stop it. You deserve that. So on the flip side of the card, it says, today I will let someone give to me, whether it's a compliment, an offer to help, or even a gift. I will stand there and take it joyfully. I know that I'm deserving of good things. So I will simply say thank you. And I mean, I was speechless. When I say I was speechless, y'all, I was truly speechless. Um, And, you know, my therapist asked me what stood out. And, you know, I told her, you know, today I will receive. um, I will let someone give to me. I think I said that that was the one thing that stood out to me. But in actuality, (laughs) what really was just, it stood out to me in a scary way was the ending of the card that says, I know that I'm deserving of good things. And she looked at me and she asked, she said, why is that hard for you? And I had to just really be honest with myself and let myself be vulnerable with her to say, 
you know, it's hard for me because I don't always believe that I'm deserving of the things that I receive. I don't believe, you know, in relationships, I didn't believe that I was deserving of a good man. I didn't believe that I was deserving of a special kind of love that is just like amazing. Although I've had great love, like in my family, my father, you know, first love, he's always shown me love. Even in the times where I was mad at him and I didn't speak to him, I still knew that my dad was present. He was always going to check on me. He was always thinking about me. You know, I knew and I felt the love. When my mother, she showed her love every single morning. She got up to take care of me. My sister shows me love all the time. My grandmothers, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins. So it was like I just didn't feel like in a world outside of family, I didn't deserve to be loved the way that I saw in other people, you know, in other relationships or on TV or in shows or in celeb and news. And as I'm talking today, I feel like I can go back to maybe high school or middle school um, where like most of us, we go through our first traumatic moment of like um, redefining our identity by the things that have happened to us in school. For me, if I go back, you know, back to even probably elementary school, I remember, you know, I would come to school and y'all, I really, one thing about Yvette, she gonna take, she gonna, (laughs) her girls, they are going to go to school looking well put together because we always were. We're not going to school looking crazy. I mean, my hair was natural, but it was always braided. It was always done. My uniform was always crisp and ready to go. I always looked amazing. But then you go to school and the kids pick on you. The boys are ranking you. You know what we used to, or what they used to call it in, um, in South Florida. You know, they're ranking and joking And, you know, the girls are just looking at you weird or they don't want you to be in their crew or if they are, they do accept you into their crew, they're accepting you, but then secretly still talking about you behind their backs or even to your face, right? Um, And I think it got to a point, especially in middle school, where I was definitely, I was teased about my voice for years. I don't even think I would want to be on the phone with guys because at one point, I've had friends who used to call me man girl because my voice was deeper. I hated that about myself, right? You know, my lips were a little bit bigger or a lot bigger, whatever. So they teased me about that. I was lighter than a lot of the girls in that were at my school. So they were just like, oh, you know, you you think you're this because your skin looks like this. And um, your hair, you know, you think you're cute because you got all that hair. And it's just like... I mean, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to be here, right? You know, or it was like, why are you always smiling? You, you trying to, you trying to come for me? I'm like, I mean, dang, I'm just smiling because I'm, I'm just happy. I don't know what else, or maybe I was nervous, right? So a culmination of all of these things are ingrained in my memory, you know, 
They stay with me for years upon years upon years. And then I get to dating outside of school. And uh, when I'm done with college, I'm, you know, dating and all these things that I feel like, oh, it's in the past. They play such a major role on what I feel I deserve because those girls broke me, broke my spirit down because those guys broke my spirit down in school and you know even in the neighborhood I felt like man Crystal they didn't want you back in the day so what makes you think that you even deserve to be in something like this you're gonna mess this up just like you messed anything up in the past right so um I think for me majority of the imposter, the majority of my issues with imposter syndrome, as far as what it affected, was me um, in relationships, and even in friendships. You know, I've had the privilege of being great. I've had the privilege of having great friends in my lifetime, and I take bits and pieces from a lot of my friends. And I feel like the one thing that I always go back and forth about in my mind is, am I a good friend? And I think I I probably ask my friends, you know, not a lot, but I've asked them more than once now, you know, do you feel like I'm a good friend? You know, do you feel like I serve purpose in your life? And I believe that a lot of them think, you know, Crystal, she's so sensitive. You know, she's always asking, is she a good friend? You're great. You're great, Crystal. You're amazing. And it's just like, it's all fine and dandy to hear them saying that, but to still not believe it for yourself, like I still didn't believe it. You know, still to this day, I, I question some of my behaviors and I question if my friends really feel like I'm a good friend. Was I there enough for you? Have I been a shoulder for you to cry on? Do I impose my opinion and my advice on you too much, too often? You know, do I get annoying? Do I not call you enough? Do I not check in enough? Do I not support you enough? You know, um, moving here to Georgia, I have my best friend and his girlfriend, um, who's literally like a sister to me. They are having my godson, oh my gosh, which I'm so excited about. And a part of me always feels a sense of... um, I won't say guilt, but I I always feel something when I leave because Terrell, you know, we have been such close friends since about eighth grade. And I know that mentally, you know, he goes through things and mentally she goes through things. And I always just want to make sure that I'm there for them, even when I'm not in the same city. Um, and I mean, that even goes for family. You know, my mom takes care of my aunt, my grandmother. And, you know, my sister is there in South Florida as well. And I feel like, am I being a good enough daughter? Am I being a good enough uh, sister? Am I being a good enough granddaughter? My dad has, you know, gone through a lot. Am I checking on him enough? Am I doing my daughterly duties? Am I living up to really my own expectations. I, I I used to go through my life saying, these are the expectations that they have of me and I have to make sure that I check off every expectation. But 
another thing that my therapist helped me realize is sometimes, you know, I get into these tailspins of stories and it's like, Crystal, you've created your own narrative. You don't even know if they feel like you're you're good enough or not. You don't know if they feel like you're being a great daughter or a great sister or a great best friend because number one, you haven't had the conversation with them, right? Number two, what you're thinking about or the extreme that you're going to, the negative extreme that you're going to, nine times out of 10 is not the reality, right? And number three, you've now gotten yourself in a place where you feel like I'm not even deserving to be in your presence for no reason. So these are all the things, kind of like the domino effects of imposter syndrome. You know, you start with, you know, a situation or something that has happened in your childhood or even a place where you feel like you're supposed to be and you start to build a block on top of another block on top of another block. And then you have this whole narrative for your family and your friends and your loved ones and, you know, colleagues and coworkers and managers to come in and read this narrative or understand this narrative and look at you like, Crystal, this is completely wrong. This is like not, this is, this, this is just bizarre talking, right? Um, so it just, it helps to come back to reality on those things. I think that's the biggest um, takeaway that I can, if I could offer any kind of um, resolve or any kind of solution at all to imposter syndrome, and it's not something that may go away forever. You may deal with it for the rest of your life, or it may just be a moment in your life that you're dealing with it. And then you come to the realization that, yes, I deserve everything I I have or I'm going after. But I think the biggest thing is to always come back to the reality of the things. Because for me, in my experience with imposter syndrome, it has a lot to do with the narratives that I have created in my own mind that then caused me to think you don't deserve this because this is what you've done or this is what where you need to be or this is where you should have been in the first place. So I'm telling myself these things or I'm being fearful of these things or I'm feeling like a fraud because of these things that are actually not true, right? Or I'm overextending myself off of a narrative that is not true, something that is false. So um, I just feel like if I could ever do anything differently, it is actually, I don't know that I would do anything differently because it's teaching me and, and it really is molding me into probably one of the strongest women, strongest um, parts of me uh, or versions of me that I have ever been able to experience in my life because the things that I've gone through, I've heard, I've experienced, I've felt, they all have molded me into understanding crystal. Every day is not going to be perfect. Every day is not going to be successful. <laughs> Every day is not going to be happy. But the one thing that you have to stand solid on is your success is your success. And fear is not, I mean, failure is not the end. Failure doesn't end your success. Failure doesn't end the horizon that you're getting ready to to get to. 
or the horizon that you've met. You continue to climb that mountain and continue to take your victory stance because the victory will come over and over and over again. So um, I think if I had to answer that question, I would say I would not change one thing about what I have gone through as far as um, the things that have shaped and molded my experiences with imposter syndrome. Um, and I think this last question, which at, which answered asks, what has been most effective in my life? I think what has been most effective is definitely self-reflection. Um, and also asking the, your loved ones around you some of the questions that you continue to contemplate on your own. Um, sometimes we go through different situations where we start to believe certain situations and we start to question ourselves over and over and over and over and over again. And then we're not asking other people. We're not reflecting on certain situations. Self-reflection is not just about you asking yourself or you coming to your own conclusions, but it's also about getting other people's insight, the people who truly love you and the people who truly know you, right? Um, I think some of my best moments of self-reflection have been after I've had a conversation with either one of my best friends or my dad or, you know, I asked my mom and my sister a question and I start to reflect on what is true and not what my mind wants me to believe that is true, which is not true. False narrative. So um, I think that is probably the, the most effective thing to do in these situations. Um, all in all, I will say that I am proud of the legwork that I have put in towards overcoming um, imposter syndrome. It's not something that you have to sit and dwell in and be in for the remainder of your life. But it's, it's a reality and it's a truth that once you come to terms with, you're able to be victorious over all those thoughts. You're able to be victorious over your fear. You're able to be victorious over feeling like a fraud. You're able to be victorious over feeling like an imposter in your own life. The things that are true, the things that are tangible, the things that are real. So um, I love you all. And I just want to end this by saying failure and fear is not the end. You continue to climb that mountain. You continue to 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 jump the hurdle because on the other side of it you will come out victorious as always love and light to you all i pray that you have the greatest day the greatest week make sure that you're checking in on your mental health always and continue to just make someone smile make yourself smile and know that you are always and forever will be deserving of all that you receive until next time, later.